Welcome to Raising Competitors Mom and Dad, a podcast designed by the team at Compete Every Day to help the parents of athletes learn ways to raise strong, healthy competitors. Throughout every episode, you're going to learn ways to improve your athletes' grit, mentality, gratitude, leadership influence, and help them develop the skills we learn in sports that set us up for success in life. My name is Jake Thompson, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, keynote speaker and author, but more importantly, your host on the Racing Competitors Podcast, and I'm so incredibly excited you're here. Let's get to work. Happy Saturday, mom and dad. Welcome to the Raising Competitors podcast. Today, we are just awesome, excited to have Justine Jones, a sport and performance psychologist out of Utah. She does some incredible work with athletes at all number of ages and has worked with collegiate athletes, professional athletes. We laugh that her age ranges go from like middle school all the way through 50-year-olds and what she's doing as a mental performance coach. This season, she works with the Real Salt Lake, the Real Monarchs. She's Additionally, she's a team of the RJ Performance Group. And so we have a conversation today on the do's and don'ts for helping your athlete build mental toughness. And we're going to get into a handful of those do's and don'ts today as things that you can do to help your athlete continue to build mental toughness. You'll get some actionable takeaways that, heck, you could use today if you're out and about at a practice, at a game, taking your kid around town. So buckle in and get excited for today's conversation with Justine. As we dive into the show, I want to encourage you to check out our sponsor and parent company, Compete Every Day. You can find out all about our brand at CompeteEveryDay.com, including ways to get yourself or your athletes some empowering, motivating gear. Grab a copy of my book, Compete Every Day, The Not-So-Secret Secrets to Winning Your Work and Life, or just get plugged into our community of leaders and learn ways that you can continue to show up and compete every day for your best life. Find out more at CompeteEveryDay.com. Now, let's welcome into the show... Justine Jones. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, that man, I almost said welcome to the Compete Everyday podcast. I've done that like three times now because <laughs> we were on such a hiatus for so long that I just got in the groove, but it's back. We're here. I'm super excited for today's conversation. You and I got to connect at our mutual friend Lauren Johnson's event, Elite by Choice, uh, back in November, where I spoke and you were participating and I participated the year before, and I can already tell you I'm going to be there in 23, either on stage or in the audience. So uh, I'm looking forward to this because I know just the people we have in common, the way we've connected, you do amazing work uh, because I know Lauren only puts people in that room that have a passion for others and are doing good work. And plus, I heard a lot of them in the room brag about you uh, behind your back. So I'm excited for today. But as we kick off, I want to introduce you to these parents Tell us today, kind of give me a snapshot of your world, personally, professionally, what do you do? Who are you? Where are you? Uh, and then I want to pull at the thread of kind of the inspiration for this path you're on. Yeah. So um, my name is Justine Jones. I am a mental performance coach in Salt Lake City, Utah. I work with two others at a private practice called RJ Performance Group, and we have kind of a big hodgepodge of clients and clientele that we work with. We work with everyone from corporate and CEO to sales forces down to um, two or three colleges here in the Salt Lake Valley to 
more than a handful of high school teams and then all the the spew of individual athletes ranging from your winter Olympic sports down to your summer sports to swimming, golfing, all of that in between. So it's fun for me just because I get to learn still all the new different sports and experiences. I come from a soccer background. I played college soccer. Um, Lauren and I bonded of that at our very initial um, meeting of, of our experiences in that. And then I found out about sports psychology my senior year in the spring. So for those who don't know, college soccer happens in the fall. So I had just completed my final year and then took, I was trying to just, you know, wrap up the, wrap up the, the degree and my undergrad was in psychology. So I found this class um, as the psychosocial aspects of performance. And so I was like, whatever, we'll take that. Took that and then more or less felt like I, my heart sunk. I, we started learning all of the principles of the mental side of performance. And I feel like I just got super defeated and feeling like, where was all of this four years ago when I needed it, when I was performing? Um, and I myself was an athlete that I actually performed well under pressure, but I didn't do that well if there wasn't something big. I, w I didn't self-motivate very well. I, I went through- You were the team that played up to the opponent as well as down to the opponent. Yes, absolutely. And I was the individual that like come to our, I mean, like uh, what game was it? Semi-final game. I think I scored a hat trick and I was just like, this is it. This is game time. This is ready to go. And then during the regular season was just like, oh, ho-hum, let me just get through games. And so like the, the more that I learned about stuff, um, it almost felt the more frustrating because I just felt a little bit disheartened that all of this that I was learning about, I felt like I was the roller coaster athlete of really good and really bad performances. And after taking this class, I thought I was going to go into normal marriage and family counseling with my psychology degree. I knew I was going to go on to do something. But after this class, um, kind of my path changed completely. And I started looking into sports psychology programs. What can I do? How do I get into this more? How can I help athletes not have to go through what I went through of, I feel like I was really hard on myself and I thought I was helping and I was, you know, just on myself about every little thing. And again, the more that I learned, the more I was like, man, that was just not the way to go about it. So I found a um, master's program in sports psychology up at the University of Utah, completed that in 2017 and then have been in the private sector since. Love it. So I actually want to ask you about a couple of things. So one, that roller coaster of playing up and then just eh, whatever. Did you see that in other areas of your life with like schoolwork or tests, things like that? Or was it really confined to the sports world for you? No, I, I think it actually was a little bit in both. Um, ironically enough Facebook has those memories that pop up yep and I had one that popped up from it was like 12 years ago and all it said was I work best under pressure and all the, and then I start reading the comments and there's like get off Facebook finish your paper like do all this stuff and I think that like immediateness of like that intensity and pressure just allowed me to like really dial in and without that without that pressure of feeling like you have to do this now it was easy for me to just like push things off and, and not be as devoted until I had to be with them. So that okay. was, a, that was an interesting change for me, actually. 
Yeah, no, I could, I could very much see that. Uh, okay. So the, the next thing I want to ask that stood out was the, just that feeling of being sunk when you learned all the things you wish you'd known years ago. And like, that was, I don't, I remember going through that process and obviously I don't have a psychology degree or a, a sports psych master, but I remember going through certifications and just reading and me more being like, oh, this is why I did that. That makes sense. Man, it would have been great to learn that, but it wasn't like I was just sunk. So tell me when you had that first defeating feeling, how did you start to climb out of it to where it became less about you and what you wish you'd done differently and more about how do I teach and help others? Yeah. So a little bit of life luck. Um, I got the assistant coach position for the college that I played at Okay. Um, right after. So I had graduated. I knew I was taking a year or so to find my grad school program. And so um, my head coach at the time was like, do you have any interest in sticking around? And so I was like, absolutely. I wasn't ready to be done anyways. And so that alone was huge. But I think the combination of coaching and then seeing like, I already had my hand right back in, I would say in the mix of being with athletes and um, obviously girls that I still played with and seeing the same patterns and behaviors. And now me being able to be like, wait, wait, wait. Like I saw that with me. Now I see that with you. Now I've learned these things. Let me start to put it into practice. And so I feel like I had a really nice, I don't want to say easy because it wasn't easy, but simplified way into like working with athletes immediately. I was going through grad school and then like running back to the team and being like, here's a cool new thing I learned. Let's try this. Let me try to implement it one-on-one or in group settings. And so that's where I think it didn't take too long for me to start to say, okay, how do I change this? How do I now tell other people about this? Okay. So uh, we talked earlier kind of off air that you work wide range mm-hmm. people in their fifties, all the way down to like middle school, high school athletes and, and kind of people in between. And, and obviously with the team at RJP, y'all work with corporate and pro teams and kind of across the board. One of the things that we obviously do here on the show is, is talking for parents of youth athletes and kind of that experience that we've seen, I would say amplified over the last two decades of mm-hmm parent involvement, pressures around youth athletes, the pressures on athletes to be perfect and parents really struggling to navigate that space, especially if a parent didn't play at an elite level, struggling to understand some of those experiences and things that they may say that are well-intentioned, but adds additional pressure to be perfect or perform. And that's not really kind of that parents go in. So they're just trying to navigate being a parent to an athlete at a middle school, high school, if they get to college where the pressure intensifies. And so one of the things I know that you talk about and do is is kind of a a six do's and don'ts for parents on how to help their kids be more mentally tough. And that mental toughness, grit, resilience is a big piece of our show. And so I'd love to kind of talk and pull out a little bit of the do's and don'ts for the parents listening today of like, what's one or two things you can start implementing with your kid to do? And what are a couple of things maybe you're doing we should pull back on? Yeah. Well, first I want to say that I haven't met a parent yet that really doesn't have the best interests for their child. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's just the way that they go about it. And again, I feel that because 
I thought I was doing well for myself or I was implementing things that ended up being detrimental, even though it wasn't intentional. And so with these do's and don'ts, I never want it to feel like, holy crap, you're a bad parent. Here's all the ways that you're damaging your kid. But they're just ideas to start to say like, oh, interesting. Maybe I do do that. How do I adjust it? And how can I improve that and make changes for the future? Because like I said, I have yet to meet a parent who was intentionally trying to to cause harm or anything to their kids. So I think a couple of my biggest ones, um, we'll see how many we get through, but my, probably my number one is don't turn the car ride into a coffin. Basically it's just like at the core of it, any, any athlete who's gone third is win or lose, right? Like it's still a very emotionally taxing event. When you play a game, we talk about all the physically taxing things, but emotionally it is taxing too. And the brain power required to be engaged if you're soccer for a 90 minute game. And one of the things, and I, again, I know parents just usually want to chat. They just want to, to debrief, but coach just debriefed. Their team just debriefed. There's a chance captains, they're still debriefing in their own mind. And then we get into the car and we want to talk about all the things. Yes. Yes, exactly. Here's all the things. And it's not even always all the bad things. It's just every thought that they had all game that they now want to, to offload. And so one of the things that I suggest is just letting the kid make that decision. So I would say avoid it altogether. First and foremost, avoid it altogether. Let the kid come to you when they're ready. Those parents that I have done this with, that we have implemented it, come back every time and like, it's worked so well. Every single time, like we don't talk about it in the car. It might take her an hour or two. It might be that night where she usually comes in and is like, this is how I'm feeling about the game. And it's so much better, like when they're ready and they're now prepped versus just like tuning out and being out of it completely. Um, The other way though, again, depending on your relationship with your kid is just asking like, did you have fun or not? And if the answer is no, like that's conversation done. Just end that there, like let them be done with that. Um, If you guys are used to talking, if that's normal, they say, yeah, what'd you like about it? What was fun? Again, not emphasizing performance, but more the enjoyment, how they're feeling with it. So I was going to say that, and to your point is it's, asking questions versus offering here's what I saw here's what I see it's the importance of pulling the conversation out of them and letting them share where they're comfortable I would imagine as well as if you have a script of five questions to ask it could even be more beneficial to ask a question and then ask a secondary question to follow up on what they said versus hey I got to go through this list right Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I like that you said having kind of a list or go-to of what are, what are safe things to be able to ask that don't just dive into me immediately telling you all my thoughts on how, how you did or didn't do. Cause that's the other thing. It's it's not good or bad. It's just all together. You're unloading on them. You're as I say, all together, you're unloading on them. And, And that would be something as simple when you say that a parent could literally have in like their iPhone just notes that they've got in their phone of like potential questions I can ask after a win, after a loss, after the kid's upset, where they just, hey, I've almost like a resource. Like I've got a place I can go and ask questions, right? Right. And like I said, I think that is something though that needs to also be built. If you're coming from a place where you are, you recognize you're the car ride into a coffin parent. If I would just simplify, like just stop 
and then let it build back into that instead of starting to try to transition automatically into that. Um, give them space and let them breathe a little bit and relax and then start to rebuild that relationship. And the, the way, so just to pull at that a little bit more, if you're a parent who now you're second guessing yourself, am I coughing? Am I literally the chauffeur for the, or the pallbearers? Or I can't even think of what the guy that drives the, the actual hearse is, but if I'm, am I driving the hearse after the game or not? They're questioning, what are some like immediate signs to look for of like, Hey, you might be this parent in this situation. If X. Yes. Ooh, good. I think one would just be body language. If, if body language starts to sink, shoulder sink and head goes in, arms get crossed. I mean, that's like number one, it's, it's a defensive body mechanism. I mean, I think number twos are short answers. I, you don't want yes and no answers, right? Like that, that doesn't help you understand or get to a better agreement. So if, yes, no, I don't know. Like that's just what, like, again, wrap up the conversation. They're not there to really talk. Even down to things like I see kids put headphones in and parents are still trying to, Hey, I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to like, again, they're just not in the right headspace. And so those would be three things that I would start to say would be like the really big obvious ones right away would be like, start to turn it off. Awesome. All right. And so, uh, the next, uh, do what's a do what's a do. I love this. Um, I would say highlight the courage and bravery. So when you see them do hard things, it's not getting super focused on their performance and the outcome and the wins, but more of the process in which allowed them to have that success. So if it's the normal question that parents ask or grandparents ask, did you score? Did you win? It's the first two questions that everyone like asks, right? Like even you can go to a random store and see a little kid and was like, did you win today? And that's and not by trying to be malicious about it, but it's the first question that gets asked. And there's so many times, one of the questions I ask athletes specifically is, can you think of a time that you played really well and still lost? And almost every single athlete can go, yeah. And I'm like, can you think of a time where you played poorly and still won? And they go, yeah. So for me, the win and the loss, just because of the nature of sports, isn't tied specifically to how you do. And so when we're trying to emphasize process over outcome, part of it is what went well, even if my kid lost, did, were they brave? Did they go into good tackles? Did they go for a 50, 50 ball? Were they kind to their teammates? There's so much more that goes into the win and the loss. And so highlighting as a parent, when you see courage, when you see bravery, when you see moments where they were scared and they did it anyways, those would be fabulous things to highlight. Awesome. I love that one. And I just love, and we've talked about it over and over again on the show process and the importance of process. And, and for the parents listening, you know, one of the things I talk about on stage with keynotes is like adults are no different than kids. Right. Like when we praise the teams and people we manage and lead for process, we emphasize that the things they do within their control are important. So how are you showing up? How are you being consistent? All of that. And our kids are even more influential to that, especially coming from us and coming from coaches here. Here's one I've got for you that may be on your list, may not be on your list. Yep. What happens when there's conflict with a coach, like yes. between parent, like the parent, you either disagree with how they're coaching, managing, 
not playing time related because sometimes we can be skewed, but when there's conflict with the coach, the player's caught in the middle, how do we handle that? Or how do we recommend maybe evaluating that situation effectively and handling it? You know, that that was on my list for sure. Okay. Kind of my don't was don't belittle the coach in front of your child. That, that puts the kid in an immediate hard position, right? Now I go yeah. to practice and I'm supposed to listen to coach and you're saying they're an idiot and they can't do their job. Well, you're putting the kid in a hard spot right yeah. away. I think some of the things going back to what you even mentioned is just control. So as a parent, I think important things for you to evaluate is if you have put your kid on this team, if it is not abusive, I'm not like, that's real. There are abusive coaches yep. out there. And so there's a time and place where as a parent, your job is to protect your child. You need to step in, you need to move them from teams. Absolutely. However, if you're not planning on moving your child and you just want to sit there and berate the coach of how they're wrong and all the things they're doing wrong to me, that's where like you've decided that the moving of your child to a different team that is inside of your control. Now that you're staying, you've made the decision. What the coach does, the decisions they make, you now have to be on the coach's team because you've made that decision to stay on this team, to be with his friends, whatever it might be, that as soon as you create tension and involve the child, you have now causing the child to be focused on the wrong things again. They are focused now on coach. They're focused on the relationship. Is my mom coming to my game? Is my dad going to yell? Are they get like, it's all the wrong things that lead to a good performance. And so that's one of mine, I guess, in its simplicity is if your child is safe and the, but they're not getting the playing time or whatever else it might be, those are conversations with you to have with your kid about how we work harder, how we deal with conflict, good lessons of you're going to have bad bosses. You're going to have bad things as you grow up. How do we have hard conversations, right? Crucial conversations are important. I'm teaching that with your child. But if you have made the decision to be on the team and stay with the team, it is your job to now support the coach. Love it. Love it. Okay. So give me, give me another do as we kind of start to tie this up a little bit. Yes. So I would say emphasize the power of yet. And I know this is everywhere. This is not a new. I concept. love that. That's one of my favorite words in the world. You preach that. Yes. No. And I love it. I think it was a huge one for me. I hated failure. So again, going back to myself, I think this one is a huge one of just kids. I can't do this or this hasn't happened yet. Or my coach hates this of just as a parent, I think you get a slip in the word yet, not yet, but soon if we keep practicing or how can I help support you so that we can figure this out or any of those solutions where you try to become a solution minded parent that is saying, yeah, I hear you. I, I understand the frustration. Not yet, but it's going to happen. And how do I help you get there? And I think that's the support most people are looking for is parents should be that safe place. They should be the ones that kids can come to with that vulnerability. But if you can offer up, not yet. And if you're willing to practice, I guess that's the biggest thing as a parent, are you practicing? Not yet. And still finding ways to learn and grow and adding that into your vocabulary. I would say that would be a huge to do for parents as they're dealing with athletes. So that actually brings me somewhere that we probably hadn't planned to go, but like the idea of a parent practicing mm -hmm. and working on, hey, these post-game conversations, working on things to say, working on using yet. Wouldn't you agree it's beneficial for the parent to even talk about it with the with their child of like, hey, I'm 
practicing on developing better conversations on the car ride home. When I mess up, hey, probably shouldn't have asked you that. I'm practicing it as a teaching point to also say, hey, listen, you can develop the skills too. Absolutely. I think that like, as I'm learning as a parent, as you're learning as an athlete, like we're learning together in this experience. Um, again, it shows a growth mindset of willingness to change, willing to be flexible, willing to admit mistakes. All of that leads to modeling. And from child psychology, we know that learning and modeling is one of the biggest ways that children learn behaviors. And so if you can't model that, then sometimes a little bit of no matter what you say, but if, if you're saying all the right things, but your actions don't match up, they're still not going to follow up with it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, absolutely right. Awesome. Justine, uh, so let me ask you, because I know you work with a ton of athletes, a ton of ages, ton of sports, where do you think is kind of your sweet spot? And mm. then I would say not to put you in a box because I believe you work with a number of things and number of challenges that athletes face, but where do you see most often some of your athletes challenged uh, or stuck? And, and when do you tend to work with athletes most on getting confidence, being in the moment, perfectionism, roller coaster like you did? Where where do you tend to find that sweet spot with your athletes? And then who are you most often serving? Yeah, good questions. I think most often I'm drawn to the older high school and college world. I, I think it's first and foremost, just a fun age. It's a fun age to yep. be right. Like they're thinking they're a little bit more engaged. They can start to think critically as like far as self-awareness and actualization. So I would say age wise, that's kind of what, where I really like to be, or just a, an age where you start to see so much individual growth raised by, like, by parents. And now they're starting to get their own ideas and their own thoughts and their own opinions on how they want to live. And so it's just a fun place to be. And I would say as far as my sweet spot, I think some of the things, again, that I challenge, I struggled with the most would be kind of the confidence, the self-talk, the fear of failure, wanting to avoid feelings of incompetency at any cost. Um, that's where I probably, because it was the most impactful for me, that that's where I find I'm really able to dive in and explore the best with my athletes of how do we become the person that we want to be? The, the individual, the athlete, the friend, whoever it might be, the competitor, how do we get there? And a lot of times I deal with very perfectionistic um, people who excel, they want to do well. And again, they're, they're hard on themselves in every little aspect. And so I feel like that's my sweet spot is teaching them that being hard on yourself doesn't equal success. And that how you, how you grow self-compassion, self-talk, all of the things that we're putting into ourselves are some of the most important things. Would you, I would also say probably one of the aspects of that you focus on as well is, is identity and getting yes. the identity wrapped up in uh, just the athlete side. And I think perfectionism, that's where we get stuck of when we're in the pursuit of something and we beat ourselves up for being perfect because we, we think it's a personal thing versus a skill versus an area of growth and development. And so for mm -hmm. parents listening who 
you know, your athlete seems to be really stuck in that identity, Justine may be a, a great opportunity and resource for you there as well. But speaking of that, where can we find out more about your work? Where's the best place to get connected with you? And then just because I want to know, where's your favorite social media? Where do you tend to hang out and share? I've actually been on LinkedIn a ton lately, just because I think it's where a lot of people are sharing really cool ideas as of lately. So I would say LinkedIn and then Instagram um, at RJ Performance Group is the Instagram handle where you can find videos and some updates on what we're doing and what I'm doing. And then LinkedIn. It's Justine Jones. I don't, I should know probably what my LinkedIn exactly is, but if you Google Justine Jones in Salt Lake city, that, that should It'll be pop up. I'll pop up. I, if there's I'm, two, we're going to find out. We will yeah, find out exactly. very quickly. You'll find out. I got the Salt Lake background in, okay. the, in my, in my thing. So if, you, if you're wondering which one, if it looks like well, cities, I was about to say, here's the question. Is it a summer picture or winter picture? Cause you just mentioned y'all are just getting dumped on right now. Yes, I actually think it's still a winter picture where there's snow up in the mountains, but not in the valley. So it's a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of Utah. You've got, you know, mountains nearby. You've got pro sports. You got beautiful weather and a lot of outdoors life. So Justine, golf. Oh, of course, golf course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the one beauty of Texas. Even though the summers are miserable, it's still kind of a year-round sport here, which is nice, kind of like the West Coast. Uh Speaking of, I need to play. And next time I'm in Utah, if, since you mentioned it, we're going to have to hit up a round. Uh, I'm terrible, but we will, oh. uh, it's, it's golf is my practice of mental skills and focus. That's where I get it in. Yes. My husband is a diehard. And so that's what I, I usually dive too far into the mental side when we're going, he's like, just swing the club. And I'm like, I'm trying to yeah. breathe. I'm trying to go through my steps so I don't get angry. Oh yeah. So no. Yeah. It's already the game where you're you're thinking so much about technique, every swing, everything that you can even more get in your head once you're like, okay, think about the swing. No, no, no. You got to relax, be in the yeah. moment. Like it's the whole, it's the whole mess. So I love it as a training ground. And my wife laughs. She's like, you just like come back frustrated sometimes. And she's like, why do you go back? I was like, cause I hit this amazing shot. And I think I can yeah. do it again more times. And she's like, oh my gosh. The and most I was like, addictive. Cool. Yep. It is. It is. Yep. It gives you just a little bit of hope and then takes your heart away the next hole when you lose three balls into the pond. Yes. That's I my even strength was I hit par once and was like, I am a golf god. Here I am. I'm it. <laughs> yeah, never again. I think it was one hole out of 18 I got par. So, you know, I, we'll I had. I had a couple, I had one, the last time I played, I had a shot at an Eagle. And I mean, it was two of the best shots I'd ever had. And then I just completely bogeyed on the short game. And I was like, boy, that went out the window fast. So close to so far, so fast. Yep. Oh, well, Justine, this has been a lot of fun. So good to see you again and really appreciate you investing the time just to be on the show, to talk to the parents, give them something that they can start using. Parents listening to the show, be sure to connect with Justine. If your athlete is looking for help in these areas, she's a phenomenal resource that I can't vouch for and say enough great things for. So please reach out and get connected with her. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Those are very kind words. So I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Raising Competitors podcast brought to you by Compete Every Day. To learn more about the show, 
Listen to past episodes or get connected with our team. Visit RaisingCompetitors.com. We'll see you next episode.